This show is sponsored by FHE Health and their Shatterproof Program for First Responders. I am so excited for this next guest. She is a very good friend of mine, Annalie Moody. She works for FHE Health, part of their Shatterproof Program for First Responders, and she is an expert in a certain treatment modality that we're going to talk about. Annalie Moody, next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I am very excited to have this next lady on the show. She's a very good friend of mine. She is the director of EMDR at FHE Health Shadowproof Program for First Responders, the one, the only, the superstar, Annalie Moody. Hey, Patrick. How are you? <laughs> uh, I am doing well, my friend. We go back a few years. We actually started at FHE together. Remember that? We're sitting right next to each other. Yeah, at orientation, yeah. I sure do. <laughs> orientation. <laughs> uh, and now you are a clinician, primary clinician at um, FHE or at Shadowproof. Uh, now yeah. you're the director of EMDR, and it's very well deserved. You are very good at what you do. But for the listeners out there who don't know who Annalie is, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure, of course. Well, first, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. It's exciting. And I just want to thank you for all you do for, for the listeners and for all of us at FHE and for all of our FHE folks at Shatterproof and in the program. So appreciate I just want to say friend. thanks, of course. Appreciate it. Appreciate so it. me, um, my name is Annalie Moody and I'm a therapist primarily. I grew up in the Midwest and that's where I'm from before I relocated to Florida to work at FHE for Shatterproof uh, and their program there. And um, I was in private practice before and um, became a certified first responder counselor that put me on the radar and I got recruited um, to work at FHE for Shatterproof. Um, so it's been kind of a dream job come true that I didn't realize was even a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and prior to that, you know, I'm a veteran of the Army Reserves. I was a military police officer for a couple of years and um, before. Before I was a therapist, I also had a career, almost 15 years in EMS, was a medic for the bulk of that career, too. Excellent. Well, thank you for your service. Now, Annalie, you're a you, well-known clinician. You've been out there. You've been practicing for a long time. I mean, how do I mean, you work with first responders every day? How important do you think it is for somebody? Um, again, there's a lot of clinicians out there. Uh, how important do you think it is for a clinician such as yourself to have a first responder military background? I mean, obviously, it's not a, a requirement, but how important do you think it is in making that connection with with first responders? Well, I think it's significantly helpful. Yeah. You know, I think um, you have to either have a background as a first responder, as a veteran or both um, in order for that trust factor to be there. Um, and in order to just uh, start a therapeutic relationship that works. Um, if you don't have the background, you can get the specialized training. You know, there are lots of good ones out there. Like I said, the certified first responder counselor training is really good. And then, um, you know, just getting boots on the ground in your area with doing ride-alongs as a clinician with local, you know, the PD and law enforcement and, mm -hmm. um, you know, the fire department and um, EMS, they love that. They love it when clinicians are willing to get dirty with them, you know, and just um, 
see what a day in the life is like. There's also training such as Mile in Our Boots Academy that I went through in South Carolina, where they put you through. It's four days um, long at the fire, the county fire training center mm -hmm. there. And it's specifically training for therapists that work with first responders. Um, so if you don't have the background, get some specialized training and just get really, really curious about what it's like to be a first responder or veteran or both. And, you know, starting conversations with them that, that start out with help me understand what it's like. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It can be super helpful if you're not willing to do that. Uh, you, you have to be vested in order to get um, the ability to know what it's like to work with these folks full time and the to to understand the specialty uh, or the special needs they have, I guess, the special way that they sort of uh, see the world is important. What, what what are the special needs for the listeners out there? Can you can you elaborate on some of the special needs that uh, first responders need? And when we're talking about first responders for the for the people who are listening, we're not just talking about cops. We're talking about fire. We're talking about EMS, paramedics, corrections, dispatchers, military veterans. Um, what are some of those special needs that you alluded to? Yeah. So in doing therapy with first responders, you really have to uh, just be comfortable with their scheduling is difficult uh, mm -hmm. they're, you know, lots of times they're going to come in, you know, wearing a duty belt and a, a duty weapon. You have to be comfortable with that. You have to be comfortable with their sort of their way of comedic relief, which is off color humor, mm -hmm. off color to the lay people a lot of times. Um, so you also have to just be willing to be real and be very honest with them. You know, they're, their meter for BS is. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, pinging. their BS so, level is up there. Yeah. Yeah. Their, their BS meter is always pinging, which is a good thing. You know, so you just have to be real and you have to be honest. You have to, you know, if you don't know something, if you just say, I have no idea what you're talking about or help me understand or what is a flashover? I was working with a firefighter the other day. So, of course, there are still things I don't know from the different disciplines. Just because I was a medic doesn't mean, you know, I worked at a firehouse. So, but it's, it's important just, not to fake that you know it because they'll correct. sniff it, they'll sniff it out. <laughs> yeah. Just be honest. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Be honest and, and allow them to just sort of um, be themselves. But, you know, you, you have to also be willing to challenge them. You know, this kind of therapy where, tell me how that makes you feel while you sit and don't say very much just isn't a very good fit. Yeah. Um, you know, they really need to be challenged and um, it needs to be more collaborative um, than expert to um, patient kind of level of care. And, you know, most of them need a trauma therapy, you know, a trauma specialty therapy. You know, psychotherapy has many different types with sure. CBT and ACT, but um, talk therapy really just isn't enough. Talk therapy is really good as supportive therapy, but you you shouldn't be trained in some trauma specific modality um, like EMDR or trauma informed yoga or something of the, the sort. And that's what I love about Shatterproof. We'll get into that in a little bit, but the different yeah. treatment modalities and of course your expertise. What? Why do you think it's so difficult? I mean, I know the answer to this, but for the listener out there, um, why do you think it's so difficult for first responders to just make that first call? I mean, make, you know, I mean, just pick up the phone. I mean, call somebody. It doesn't have to necessarily be a treatment facility. It could be a family, a friend, 
uh, you know, but why is it so difficult for them to pick up the phone and just say, look, I'm struggling. I need some, I need some help. Yeah. I mean, that's an individual thing. Of course, the reason why, you know, officer A doesn't call and the reason why officer B doesn't call might be very different. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are some by and large common barriers to treatment that we see. Uh, one of those is, you know, the number one, I would say is denial. Yeah. You know, denial type number type one, which is I don't have a problem. Um, th that's the biggest barrier, of course. Denial type two is okay. If I've accepted that I have a problem, I've broke through denial level one. Denial level two is as long as nobody else knows I have a problem, I'm fine. So they don't they don't want to have a problem. They don't want anybody else to know they have a problem. And so making an appointment and keeping an appointment uh, with a provider. Uh, sometimes you have to tell people where you're going, like a spouse, you know, so um, it's not as easy, even though therapy is confidential, you know, um, getting to an appointment might not be as people are going to know a lot of times, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. when you start seeing a therapist. And so those are the two biggest barriers is not wanting to have a problem and just not wanting anybody else to know that something's right. going on. And that's due to this, you know, perceived um weakness or yeah. just really harshly negative judgment of themselves. Um, and so the way, you know, we try to uh, help with that is to sort of change the narrative and say, it's not, you know, if you're going to start being affected by some of these things in a career length time and as a first responder, it's when, and it's sort of like, you know, this isn't something wrong with you. Um, you know, you're a human being first. And so we have to do a lot of education up front, even after folks have sought treatment, for them to be willing to engage in treatment and do the things that they need to do to help themselves instead of just um, passing judgment on themselves for having a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned EMDR. I want to I want to talk about that. But first. There are, I, I, as you know, Annalie, and, and a lot of listeners know, I was I was a patient there uh, at Chatterproof at one point, and there there are so many wonderful different treatment modalities we we uh, we have down there. I mean, you mentioned we, we, talk therapy is just it's not enough. It has its place, um, but we have so many different things down there. You were recently promoted, named the director of EMDR uh, at Shadowproof. That's all you do down there. In fact, people request you <laughs> request you for EMDR. Tell tell the listener what is EMDR. What is it used for and how effective it is? Sure. Yeah, gladly. EMDR is a therapy, you know, it's a psychotherapy modality and, uh, you know, it was developed 30 years ago for trauma specifically. Um, that's the good news is it's not new. We have 30 years of research proving its mm -hmm. effectiveness. And so, you know, it's super um, impactful and successful treatment modality specifically for trauma, but we're using EMDR for all kinds of things today, performance enhancement and all sorts of things. At Shatterproof, we're using it primarily for trauma, of course, because, you know, we triage the needs, but as an outpatient therapist, lots of those therapists are, are using different applications of EMDR for all sorts of things because it's just that useful. And um, basically what EMDR is, is it's an augment therapy that it's not talk therapy. What we do is we use bilateral brain stimulation, which sounds Frankensteinish, <laughs> but it's not right. Bilateral. There are several different ways to, to 
to um, facilitate the bilateral brain stimulation. And the, the manner in which the therapist uses the brain stimulation is varies from therapist to therapist. There's no right or wrong way. Um, each therapist sort of has their preference. And the reason why you might use one modality over another might depend on the patient population you're working with and the type of therapy setting and session you're doing with length of time and those sorts of things. So um, we use rapid eye movements, which is the traditional method to facilitate brain stimulation um, that I facilitate with my hand. Um, sometimes I'll layer the stimulus and have patients hold hand buzzers that vibrate at the same time because first responders need a higher level of stimulus because um, their, their you know, neurological system is has been sort of jacked up, if you will, mm -hmm. over time. They're very used to being in a hypervigilant state and sustaining a hypervigilant state for long periods of time. And they're also used to going into fight or flight often um, as well. So, you know, I find that the first responder and veteran populations need a higher level of stimulus in order to facilitate memory reconsolidation, which is what EMDR does. So, um, the program that we developed here at Shatterproof mm -hmm. is based on intensive EMDR therapy, which is EMDR therapy in a different application where we're using longer sessions, longer sets of stimulation during this during the session. We sort of go deeper into the traumatic memory, stay in there longer and clear it out or sure. complete the target um, very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I would say 90% of the patients that go through the intensive EMDR program, complete their target in one session, one 90 minute session. I was, that which, was my next question is how, how long is it? I guess it depends on the patient. Mm -hmm. Well, so the program at FHE Health for Shatterproof is, you know, they get um, EMDR is actually eight phases of treatment. The reprocessing phase with the brain stimulation is actually phase four of eight. So the way we have sort of structured it there is really unique in that, you know, they're doing phases one through three in a group therapy setting to where they get educated about what EMDR is. They get prepped for it with resources. We, the two resources we use are a calm scene and a container. They get taught how to use those. Um, we've developed a patient workbook, an EMDR workbook that's 60 yeah. pages, so it's mm -hmm. pretty hefty. So they get that workbook during that group session. They get... Um, taught how to choose a target for their first individual session. And then after that group session, you know, I have office hours, of course, too. So they're all invited to, you know, come by my office, ask questions if they need some extra help with the workbook or um, deciding what to work on first um, with, the, with the EMDR therapy. And then they get scheduled for two, minimum of two 90-minute individual EMDR therapy sessions with me. Now, does everybody, does every Shatterproof, thank you for that information, very useful. Um, does everybody in Shatterproof get EMDR? So everybody that's appropriate at the time that they're in Shatterproof gets access to try it okay. through the EMDR program. So they so might the try it and might not like it. That doesn't mean they have to keep doing it. Correct. And nobody has to do it. We're just offering them access to it. Um, there are some rule out. Um, criteria. So the, the primary therapists at the Shatterproof program refer them to the EMDR program. And um, as long as they don't um, have any of those rule out criteria, such as a recent um, 
concussion that they're currently under the care of a physician for, that would rule them out for doing EMDR therapy right then. Because um, we need the brain to heal, of course, first sure. before getting in there and, and doing any brain stimulation. So the, just there are a few criteria like that that might rule them out from being ready or appropriate for EMDR while they're with us in Shatterproof. Um, but it, by and large, we're giving them all um, access to the program. That's awesome. And and it really helps for, to correct me if I'm wrong, PTSD or PTS, uh, other, well, it's all trauma. So it really, it really is centered on trauma, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Basically what the, there's three sort of areas that EMDR works on for trauma specifically. The first aim of EMDR therapy is to reduce the the disturbance level. That means how disturbing it is when you think of it now. Um, you know, we use a one to 10 scale, 10 being the worst, you know, um, disturbance you can imagine. And um, we try to get that disturbance level down as close to zero as possible. Meaning when I think about it now, it's no longer disturbing to me. The second aim of EMDR is to get rid of the somatic or bodily sensations, the physiological sensation that comes with a traumatic incident or traumatic memory. Um, folks might say, um, every time I drive past this residence, um, I get sweaty and I get sick to my stomach and my heart starts beating fast. That's exactly what we're talking about with that. So EMDR wipes that out to where there's no longer a disturbance associated with it. I no longer get upset. I no longer feel guilty. I no longer feel shame. I no longer get angry. So, I no longer get scared. So you said that wipes it out now. Correct. It, it does. It doesn't get rid of the memory, right? It's just, okay. The memory's always there. But it's you don't have the same anxiety level with it now, right? Correct. Okay. So you always have the memory, um, and you always have the knowledge of what happened, but it's no longer bothersome to okay. you now. Yeah. And so it gets rid of the disturbance level, gets rid of that somatic response that happens, and then we replace the negative cognition about you that's connected to that incident, right? Um, with with a positive cognition or a positive thought. Um, so EMDR does all three of those. Oh, it's amazing. It's <laughs> like, it's amazing. I went through EMDR when I was down there. Actually, I yeah. think I went through like a hybrid. Uh, mm -hmm. Annalie, we've talked about this before. Uh, I've never went through like your EMDR. Mm -hmm. um, and I know EMDR has a very high success rate. Is there any times where EMDR, I guess maybe it's a too broad of a question, where EMD, MD, EMDR will not work on somebody? You know, it's interesting. The literature says it doesn't work for 100% of people who try it, of course. You know, there's no treatment modality that's 100%. Yeah, 100%. Effective. No, doesn't exist. Right, exactly. But by and large, you know, I've never worked with somebody who hasn't been significantly, um, who hasn't significantly benefited from trying and using EMDR therapy. You know, again, this it's this intensive format. And again, it's in it's being used in a program setting that's right there in a safe um, environment in an inpatient setting where they're getting access to all kinds of different treatment modalities sort of all at once while they're there with us. So they're getting, you know, our neuro rehabilitation. So the pump, if you will, if we talk about the brain as a pump, the pump is primed yeah, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's the perfect time to get in there and get rid of what I call the big fish, you know, the biggest thing that's bothersome to you it's sort of the, the perfect environment. And so, um, you know, I think, um, the numbers are interesting. You know, I was doing intensive EMDR with my caseload as a primary therapist, 
um, for almost two years uh, at Shatterproof um, before we developed this program for you know the entire cohort of Shatterproof for the entire community to get access to EMDR. And so we've been doing the EMDR program for about two months now. And in eight weeks time, we gave um, 98 patients access to EMDR through the program. So the Amazing. stats are pretty awesome. And the success is just. Um, it's awesome. I mean, because it's I obviously. encouraging. Yeah. Okay, obviously, I work there and um, even though I'm remote, but I, I hear nothing but positive things and great things coming out of your program. And I know it's successful. I know the patients love it. And like you said, it's just not EMDR, um, which is the gold standard, by the way. Like you said, it's been around for a long time. But yeah. it's also they're getting neurotherapy. They're getting breath therapy. They're getting, uh, you know, bio bed. They're, they're doing yoga. So it's it's just one good thing after another that kind of reinforces, you know, puts everything together. Yeah, it's very <laughs> exciting. You know, thankfully, you know, Shatterproof uh, is a program that's very innovative. Yeah. And, you know, we care so much about just helping our people get better the best way we can and the fastest, you know, we recognize everybody has a life to get back to. Absolutely. And, you know, we just want them to get back to it as healthy and safe as possible. And, you know, EMDR is a really powerful tool that, that uh, it sort of um, speeds up the process, if you will. Absolutely. Now, why do you think some people, Annalise, shifting gears a little bit, the program itself uh, has a, I'm talking about Shatterproof, has a very high success rate. People leaving and they complete the program. Uh, and what I mean by that is very few, if any, uh, not that I know of, people go AMA. They just leave, you know, Shatterproof. Um, why is it with with some people, they, they get back to their world, they get back to their environment that they came from, and they just they relapse and they end up coming back. And I'm not saying, I should have prefaced by saying there's nothing wrong with coming back to treatment. It's not a one size fits all or one try, yeah. you know, it's going to fix everybody. But we see a lot, or I shouldn't say a lot, but sometimes people, they just come back. They're not doing the work. And I think I just answered the question. <laughs> yeah, I think actually by and large that most most people who, you know, um, have difficulty after they complete the program and get back to their regular life. Um, most often, I'm not blaming anyone, but most often they're not following through their aftercare Absolutely. You know, plan and their aftercare treatment. And part of that is, you know, when you're in the program, you're in this protected environment and you get feeling awesome. You know, you feel like you're on top of the mountain. You're in the bubble. I know that's right. how I so, viewed it, you know, when right. I was so, in treatment. Exactly. We work real hard to, to try to teach them while they're there that you feel like you're on top of the mountain, but don't let this give you a false sense of security that you're done with therapy, you know, or that you don't have to do anything else. That If you're there for addiction or substance abuse, you really need to stick with your therapy program, your IOP program, if that's what you're doing, that's an intensive outpatient program. You really need to start getting a community support, whether that's AA or whether that's smart recovery, doesn't really matter what kind of, Something. you know, social, you know, sober support network you're using. And especially for mental health too, you know, you have to create a community around you of support. And that doesn't mean you have to put it on blast that you've had some sort of treatment, but you have to be willing to tell the people who love and care about you and our trust that supports how things are going for you, what's going on with you and to engage with therapy long-term. You know, that's one of the biggest misconceptions is, 
you know, that shatterproof is just sort of like, you know, gonna fix everything. Like if I broke my arm, I go to the ER, they cast it and I don't have to do anything else. Um, you know, a program like Shatterproof is just the beginning. Absolutely. Of, you know, your treatment, especially if you haven't had any treatment before. So it gets you ready to do the long-term outpatient treatment that you need to keep doing. Now that doesn't mean you have to do, you know, twice a week therapy for the rest of your life. But until you get to a functional level that you need to be at, then you can ratchet it down some, you know, between you and your provider and, you know, just sort of drop down. Yeah, absolutely. Time. Absolutely. I still have a therapist, you know, that. I mean, I still talk to a therapist, you know, and it's been a while since I've been in Shatterproof, but I tell people all the time and they get, they gave me the foundation. Now I need to build on that foundation mm -hmm. uh, because you're going to have bad days. And I tell people this all the time. You're now my good days eclipse my bad days by, you know, a lot. But you are going to have those bad days. So what are you gonna what are you gonna do? Are you gonna yeah. revert back to that those same behaviors that got you messed up in the first place? Or are you gonna pick yeah. up the phone and use your network and use the people and the tools and, and the techniques that you've learned to, to get you through there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially for folks who who, you know, complete the program and they go back to work as a first responder, you know, trauma is trauma exposures, as you know, are cumulative. And, yeah. you know, just because you offload or reprocess or get some therapy for some of the exposures you've already had isn't preventative. It doesn't prevent life, you know, personal or professional exposures from happening. So you really have to keep up in real time. You know, there's that, uh, you know, lots of people talk about the bucket. You know, when your bucket gets full, it starts overflowing that that whole analogy. Well, it's going to keep getting filled up. You can't just um go to a, a treatment center once you know for 30 days empty the bucket and then think you're good to go forever yeah. especially for those folks like i said who are still on the job well yeah and especially i i viewed it i mean there was a reason why i and not everybody does this i mean just using me as an example i mean i love colorado but i left colorado because i i didn't want to go back to the same place and have some of the triggers that were there now i, I know that's not for everybody and and some people can't do that but i was able to do that and and you know, you're going back to your environments. So you're going right back into that spot that triggered you or got you depressed or God forbid something else worse. Right. So you're, it's going to be even more challenging for you, you know, because right. you're better now you're feeling good, but still you have those maybe negative influences around you trying to pull you back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just, it takes time and work together. It's an adjustment, yeah. you know, and it's therapy and, you know, your mental health, just like physical health, it's a lifestyle adjustment. Absolutely. You know, and so you can't just reach for the easy button, whether it's alcohol <laughs> yeah. to make you feel better, right? At the end of the day, or isolating yourself away from other people. That's used more commonly even than alcohol as, as one of these, what we call maladaptive coping skills. You know, you can't use those things and stay healthy. So we teach you how to, you know, avoid those. But um, it's a lifestyle change to stay mentally healthy, too, and to yeah. deal with stuff instead of just suppress it, deny it, pretend yeah. it doesn't bother me, pretend nothing affects me. That's the lifestyle that most responders are used to before they come to some kind of treatment. Absolutely. Annalie Moody, uh, any final thoughts, any words? Uh, you've been given tremendous, tremendously great advice, but for somebody out there who's struggling right now, who's listening to you and hearing all this great stuff and, and, but, you know, still on the, on the fence with, you know, making a call or reaching out I and mean, what advice would you give them? 
Well, I would say, first of all, you have to get honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. And once you get honest with yourself and get the ability to be honest with yourself about what's going on, um, then you need to get honest with another person, even if it's just about one thing, you know, or one aspect of what's bothering you. A trusted, a trusted person. I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt. Yeah, a vetted, trusted person. Exactly. With just another human being who's trusted. If you don't have anybody you trust in your environment, call a 1-800 number, right? Uh, Hopefully you have somebody in your environment that you can trust that actually cares about you for real. But if you don't, um, you know, use the 1-800 number. Just get honest with you. Talk to somebody else about what's going on. um, And, you know, um, try an outpatient therapist if you need to. Not everybody needs to come to an inpatient level of care, of course. You know, um, but sometimes people feel that that's the best option. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so that's the thing is, you know, um, I would say it's easy for me to say, don't be afraid. Right. Of course, because I know what's involved. But, you know, I think fear is the biggest liar, of course. So, you know, I would just say, don't let fear limit your potential. And, um, you know, we're, we're here to help people just get better and get back to life. Absolutely. And you're not on an island. I would just add to that. I mean, you, you can't do things, especially when, at least I, I couldn't, obviously when right. I was, when I was struggling, I, I couldn't, you might think you'd be able to do things by yourself, but when you're with some things, maybe when you're healthy, you yeah. know, but you know, when you're healthy mentally and physically, but when you're in that dark space, like I was in, there's no way I could have done it alone. Correct. There's no and way. you know, you don't have to. Yeah, and exactly. The thing is, is that that's the biggest bonus about Shatterproof being a community treatment model where, you know, you're in a community of your peers that are all going through the same or similar experiences. And I hear every hour on campus, oh, so-and-so said exactly what I was feeling yesterday. And I thought nobody else in the world felt that way. And so that's the beauty of it. And, you know, sometimes when we're struggling, uh, it can feel exactly like the loneliest isolated place on earth but when you get put in a community of 49 other you know um (laughs) people just like you who are struggling in the same way it's tremendously valuable absolutely i tell people all the time i mean you are a very unique person speaking broadly but your problems aren't unique (laughs) (laughs) you know because It's horrible, but millions of other people have suffered the same things you, and they've become healthy and they've become better because they see people like you, which is awesome. And the good thing about problems not being unique is guess what? We know exactly how to help you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Annalee (laughs) Moody, director (laughs) of the EMDR program at Shatterproof FHE Health. You are amazing. You know that. I talk to you a lot. You're one of my dearest friends. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your wealth of information. And congrats for the listener out there. Annalie got a new beautiful home in Florida. And she's been painting all day. I have been painting all day. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Patrick. You are amazing, my friend. And I will talk with you soon. Okay. Have a good day. You too. Annalie is such an amazing person. It was a privilege having her on my show. If you love this show, please share with family and friends. You can also check out the show on YouTube, CJ Evolution Podcast YouTube channel. The link is in the show notes. Thank you.